0: Says, get that India, big boy! a Call an ambulance! Maybe call a priest. Oh, what a shot! What a shot! Campbell killer! Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Tip Sheet podcast. As always, I'm your host, John, also known as Forty Twenty. Joining me, as always, the breakdown. Everything Parramatta, everything NRL is my good mate. 60s, 60s, it's a pleasure to have you on board, mate. It's a pleasure to be back to normal broadcast sort of schedule for the tip sheet. All those Thursday night football games, not quite a thing of the past. We've still got the penultimate round of the season for Parramatta to get through. uh, But we are back to somewhat regular scheduling.
1: And probably in a more digestible podcast format because... We shouldn't last two hours in this no, news God one, as we, no. as, as we have been with the the news slash preview podcasts of the last month or so. So, uh, mate, I, I'm I'm ready, ready to get into the news segment and the news podcast, mate.
0: Yes, sir. But before we get into the podcast 60s, a reminder to our listeners that the tip sheet is brought to you in partnership with star partners Parramatta, Narellen and Auburn, as well as Big Swing Golf, North Mead. Uh, Both those companies doing wonderful things for TCT and a pleasure to have them on board. But let's get into the new 60s.
1: News team, assemble!
0: And uh, first off the, or first cap off the rank is the biggest news involving the tip sheet itself, 60s, and it's uh, someone coming on board, given that Spiro is now a very, very busy man. We had to find someone uh, worthy of replacing him. I think we've done a good job because listeners of the tip sheet will know this voice and readers of TCT will appreciate his wonderful long-form content that he's done for us over the years. Clint, welcome on board to the tip sheet, mate. How are you doing?
2: Very well, gentlemen, and yourselves?
1: Mate, uh, I would be better on the back of an Eels win, but (laughs) the season is what it is. We're going to be really pumped to get a victory against the West Tigers this weekend, but there's so much news we've got to get through, and of course, that's going to kick off with the team lists that have just been announced. Yeah,
0: let's get right into it, boys. Round six is upon us, Eels playing their traditional Easter Monday clash against the West Tigers. Uh, we're going to go through the team list quickly. We look at the West Tigers first, though, given that uh, they've got plenty going on in their own backyard. Uh, starting at fullback, they've got Charlie Staines. On the wings, Asu Kapoa and Junior Tupu. Brent Nade and Stafford Toa are in the centres. Adam Dwahi, or Dewey, and Luke Brooks in the six and seven respectively. In the front row, Stefano Watoy David Klemmer and Appius out dummy half, uh Ice or as I saw Isaiah Papali'i on one edge, John Bateman, who's actually been quite good for the West Tigers, quite on um, to be honest, on the other, and Fenuwa Pole at lock forward. Jake Simkin, Alex Twal, Joe Ofengahi, and Sean Blor round out their interchange, their extended roster, Justin Matamura, Alex Safarf, Brandon Wakem, Urua Ngatakura, uh, and Dane Laurie, the final reserve there. Not pretty reading, but I feel like we said the same thing about that last this year time last year on Easter Monday and they managed to knock us off. Uh, but, yeah, the, the Tigers are doing it tough, boys.
1: Is it arguably the best side that they've assembled this season? Uh, yeah, look, um,
2: I'm, personally, when I saw the team sheet, I went, that'll be about the best 17 they've put out this year, and right on cue in time for us.
0: <laughs> uh, I just, it's got a lot of holes, that roster, hasn't it? And, you know, I say that nine well, they're going to be up for this game on Monday and they're going to give us as much hell as they can. Uh, but you can see why they're a winless to start the season. There, there is a distinct lack of talent and some key positions there for the West Tigers.
1: Well, let's just use the yardstick of Parramatta's performance against the Panthers. So if we're going into this being concerned about things that we shouldn't be concerned about, now I'm not talking about not, you know, I'm not talking about disrespecting the Tigers' outfit in any way, but I think we have to const- have a positive mindset, the players, that is, realise what they achieved against the Panthers now, if you put the Panthers up against the Tigers, what sort of scoreline would you expect at the moment?
0: Fifty plus. In all,
1: yeah, yeah, forty all, plus at least.
0: But the Panthers yeah, it also, also have a richness. have a uh, aggression and ruthlessness to them that you can argue that Parramatta sometimes lack.
1: Yeah. Now, the one thing that we have to guard against, and we we did see it last year, and we've seen it from time to time over the over the last few years is playing down to the level of the opposition. Now, we don't want to get into this too much at the moment because we will have the preview podcast later in the week and we'll be expressing our our thoughts a bit more on the match itself. But I want to take a positive mindset um, about what lies in store and maybe that's the ideal time now to dig into our team list.
0: Yeah, let's get into it. But preface it first with the uh, news coming out of the judiciary last week. That Bailey Simonson will accept a two week ban for his high tackle on James Tedesco. No surprise there, I think, boys. And I think two weeks is probably fair in relation to uh, the nature of the tackle mechanically. He didn't leave his feet, he didn't swing an, uh, an arm recklessly, but he did collect uh, Teddy high. And thus, I think the two week suspension probably within the realms of reason. Yeah, Clint,
1: what's yeah. your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I, I,
2: I tend to agree there. Um, 40, look, well, you. Yeah. It looked dramatic when that happened, and you know naturally we heard a little about it in the post-match presser from um, Roosters coach Trent Robinson. But uh, I, I think two weeks is about right, and um, you know when the charge came out, um, there wasn't any surprises from my end.
0: Yes, indeed. So let's get to the Eels team, list, bearing that news in mind. No Bailey Simonson, no Junior barlow Junior due back next week, thankfully, and obviously Bailey the week after that as he serves the two week or well, two leg suspension. Uh, going through the Eels team was, though, as always, at fullback, Quinton Gufferson on the wings, or left wing. It's Mike Acevo, right wing. What a welcome return in the first grade. Hayes Dunster, it's been well over a year since he had that awful, awful knee injury that led to a full knee reconstruction, but he's been playing some great football in reserve grade. And uh, even without the, uh, the Simonson suspension, he would have made it a fair question mark this week in terms of form. So saves Brad after the decision, he comes in on opportunity via injury, but he's been playing some great football in the centers. Will Pennison, he will be on the right with Hayes, you presume, with Sean Russell replacing Wanga Blake on the left. Wanga being dropped looks like on form. No surprises there. We spoke about it sixties. He has been struggling, but Sean Russell, he uh is a very welcome or well, welcome sight for Saw Rise there, given that he was out for an undisclosed amount of time following what we suspect was a shoulder injury at training.
1: Yeah, it was and I should also mention that During the pre-season, we know that Wonga Blake had a broken arm and we saw Sean Russell filling in from time to time in opposed sessions in that that centre position that Wonga was vacating due to his injury and doing uh, the rehab. So it's it's not entirely foreign for that sort of combination to uh, be taking the field. It's. I guess Brad Arthur, someone that doesn't normally like to make too many changes. In this instance, the extra change or two's been forced with the suspension. But yeah, it'll be it'll be good to see how those combinations shape up in the game itself.
0: How do you see that new look backline, Quentin?
2: Uh, look, look, gentlemen, I think the, the first thing we have to acknowledge is the extreme work um, and, and, and great work of, of, of Hayes Dunster and our strength and conditioning team, our physical performance team, to get Hayes back into uh, a position where he can be selected for first grade. Uh, any physio will tell you the, um, the the triple, as it's known, ACL, MCL, PCL is one hell of an injury to return from. So um, congratulations to Hayes and the team for getting themselves into a position. Uh, as you rightly touched on, his form in uh, New South Wales Cup uh, warranted a discussion about his selection in first grade. And um, I, for one, absolutely welcome his return. I think he's going to give us a little bit, something a little bit different out of the backfield, hopefully some um, some meters. His, his post-contact meters stats in, um, in, in New South Wales Cup since returning have been um, getting progressively better each and every week. And, um, you know, he, he, he's a footballer. And, you know, the same can also be said for Sean Russell. You know, they, they, these, these are instinctive footballers. These guys have come to our junior systems and are paramount of people. I'm excited to see them take the field.
0: No changes in the halves. No surprises there either. Dylan Brown, 5'8", Mitchell Moses, halfback. In the front row, it's the same configuration as last week, which means Reg, Reagan, campbell Gillard, and Wiru McGreg will start, bookending Josh Hodgson, a dummy half. And then in the back row, we see one of the greatest Easter returns of all time. Sean Lane making a very, very, very timely comeback from a broken jaw. He's going back straight back onto that left edge where your partner, Dylan Brown. Bryce Cartwright, however, has not been the loser of his return. Bryce being in a very, very good form of uh, or vein of form himself, playing really tough honest football. He switches over to the right edge with Ryan Madison going from right edge to lock forward. So a bit of a shuffle there. And that shuffle cascades down to the bench where Jermaine Hopgood moves from starting lock forward to the interchange. Brennan Hands continues to play that dummy half-utility role. Jack Murchie and Makahesi Makatora round out our impact forwards. Matt Dury, the uh, poor soul to make way in that big reshuffle. Dury can probably count himself hard done by, but there's a lot of quality players in that team this week. And uh, joining Dury on the extended roster is Jake Arthur, Hickey Ogden, Kai Rodwell, and Wonga Blake. Yeah, big uh, big facelift to the forward pack. Big injection of talent. Sean Lane, we know how important he is to this team, boys. Do you like what Brad Arthur's done? Re- uh, reconfiguring that team around Lane's return would you have done it differently or do you think there's a, a little something something to how he's uh, put it up on the bench in the uh, starting back row
1: there I'll let you fire in there first Clint
0: yeah look
2: um, personally if it was me I would have made exactly the same decisions when it came to the starting 13 you know Um uh, I I think as, as effective as Jermaine Hopgood has been for us and he's had he's had a good highlights reel and you know, there'd be some um super coach um coaches out there lamenting his decision um Brad's decision to move uh, Jermaine to the bench. But I I think, you know, um uh, experienced player in Ryan Madison starting and um you know um helping support and tighten that middle third um along with Reg um is, is is the way forward, particularly with Junior out at the moment. Also, give Jermaine the opportunity to come into the game, and you know he, he's he's going through his first um, full season of NRL. You know that, that's something that we can't forget, and you know his his minutes need to be managed. Um, Sean Lane is um, is is um, you know, one of our best forwards. You know he um, at the back end of last year, he was obviously in that rich vein of form, and um, and and re-signed on a long-term deal with the club. Um, he's remunerated accordingly. You'd you'd expect someone of his calibre to come immediately into the starting side if they're available. Now, whether he plays the full lady, yet to be seen, and maybe his minutes might need to be managed, but um, I I, I expect a good showing from Sean.
1: I'm interested in the uh, form of Sean Lane coming back from a broken jaw. Now, Bryce Cartwright suffered a broken jaw during the preseason and had to be available for round one really due to the circumstances I'm I maybe in a perfect world if everyone was available, he might have come back through New South Wales Cup with that sort of injury. as it's turned out, having been selected in first grade, it's the old cliche of he's made every post a winner since then there's been no evidence of all at all of him being, I guess, a, a bit gun-shy with his carries into contact mm. with his jaw. And that's the second time that he's come back from that. Now, we could suggest that Sean Lane is so tall that people are going to have to be stretching to get up to make contact <laughs> with his jaw. And if anyone has ever had the opportunity to talk to Sean Lane in person or to meet him, you know what I mean about how tall the man is. He he has to be... I. I honestly cannot recall ever speaking to an NRL player as tall as Sean Lane. And it's, it catches me by surprise every time I see him. Um, he did indicate a couple of weeks ago at the Junior Parramatta Junior Rugby League senior, uh, season launch that he was going to be ready for this Easter round. Uh, Sean Russell said the same during the interviews that I conducted with both of them. And they seem very relaxed about it as well. Uh, I think Sean's a player who really understands himself a lot better now that he's an experienced player at the Parramatta Club. He had a lot to say about Parramatta being his home and the reasons for Playing his best football now that he had some coaches before that didn't really understand who he was as an individual, and that Brad Arthur's been really good at at understanding who he is, and uh, I, he also indicated that he thought that uh, the team had been very good at bringing out the best in Brad Arthur as well, helping him to relax a little bit uh, in his more recent years. But Sean, as I said, Sean is a he's a a bit of a character he's he likes a joke he likes to be relaxed but he's he's all about having that positive mindset and he's critical of himself for not having that positive mindset in the past I probably can't see him doing anything else but coming into the game with the with a a spot-on attitude to his uh, return to football The question mark that I have is around Hopgood coming off the bench. And I wonder then whether BA is looking to unleash him as an impact player and that he's had to do an awful lot of tackling, an awful lot of work that I think has started to diminish what he offers as an attacking weapon in the middle. And maybe that's what BA's thinking might be as well.
0: Yep. So with Sean, we know he's going to be a little bit underdone, that's the reality of missing uh, you know, two and a half months of football following a broken jaw, he obviously would have been doing cardio work, but it doesn't quite make for real game experience in terms of fitness, so the going to have to juggle around that. But speaking of juggling, looking at this uh, front row rotation, we saw Rurumu try his absolute guts out against the Sydney Roosters and have a pretty handy game, honestly. But when he gets subbed out fifteen or twenty minutes into a game, is it Ryan Madison shifting into the front row, boys, or is it Makatoa coming into the starting team? So you get Hopgood into the game at that point, and then uh, push Madison one up into the front row, or do you get Makatoa into the front row rotation and then look to get Hopgood in separately?
1: Clint, I'll leave that to you first. Oh, you could go either way. Um, you know, a, a
2: part of that will probably di- be dictated by. The way that the match is unfolding, you know, if there's an opportunity and we're on the attack, and um, you, know, they're, they're, you know, hypothetically, if we're up and there's there's an opportunity to to go for the kill, I think you see Hopgood come in. You know, if it's a little bit more of a um, a war of attrition and the game's in the balance still at that point, you might want someone who's got the um, the motor of a Makatoa to come on and just you know in- ensure that the um, the middle stays tighter. But you know, if 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 it's me boys, I'm probably I'm probably still bringing Jermaine on. And um, and you know, at the end of the day, they're all middle forwards, and you know, they all have they all have their skills and um, their unique skills that they bring to the team. And you know, with the the, the benefit of having both Ryan and um, Jermaine on, is that you've got um, two legitimate um, passing options within the, the the middle third of the field.
1: I'm with you there. I'm thinking that it's Mado going to the front row and Jermaine coming on at lock, but. Yeah, it could be a case of it changes up according to the match or maybe BA's just thinking completely different to what we are and he's he's got um, plans that Middles are replacing Middles. And um, By that, I mean um, Makotoa coming on and replacing Woody when he comes off. Uh, uh, again, it's interesting. It was always going to be an interesting team list Tuesday. BA didn't disappoint with that we probably saw more changes than we have in any Brad Arthur coach team in the past. So it now remains to be seen how he uses his interchange bench this week because there are plenty of options available for him.
0: And just on that, Wunga Blake getting dropped, not surprising boys. We've spoken about his struggles. Hopefully a stint in reserve, grade can reignite his form. We know he's still a world-class athlete. He just needs to get back to his best mentally but in terms of the other player dropped, Matt Dury, hard done by, or the right player to drop, boys? And is there a silver lining to him going to reserve grade where he can maybe pump more minutes into those legs as a starting back rower?
1: Clint, you were a massive Matt Dury fan when he was coming through the junior rep system.
2: Yeah, yeah, I was, Craig. And you know uh, what? What we um, some of the, the glimpses that we've seen throughout first grade um, from Matt in an Eels jersey is, um, is 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 probably how his um his full matches were unfolding in um in junior reps um look i i, I think this is a minute um a, a management of minutes you know it, it's well documented that brad wants his edge players to have the ability to play 80 minutes um you know it, it, w- it was documented through the preseason that some of our new buys in um in jack Murchie and 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 matt weren't quite there um in relation to that and um i i think this is very much a Get 80 minutes under your belt. Let's see how you go. Um, I, I have no doubt that he'll be back in the 17 at some point in, in, in the coming weeks anyway. Um, th- this could very well just be, a, in, in my mind, a, a, a matter of managing Matt's
1: minutes. Well, I know in terms of Matt Dury that probably in, the, in recent years uh, outside of injury, that I doubt that he's played 80-minute games for a long, long time. So... Mm. It's. Uh, I think it is a, a case of getting some minutes under his belt in the New South Wales Cup, and talking about lower grade matches, in going back to get a bit of confidence, a bit of form in low in in the New South Wales Cup. One Jake Arthur has certainly been in outstanding form this season, and uh, we saw that in the the way that he was able to get the eels back from the brink of defeat against the Dragons on uh, Saturday down in Wollongong.
0: Yeah, Eels trailing, I believe, 22-12 with uh, under half an hour to play, 60s. And then uh, Jake really took control of this game, uh, spearheaded the last couple of tries with some wonderful kicks to Zach Sini and Hayes Dunster. The Dunster one in the 79th minute, giving uh, Jordan Rankin a chance to win the game from the right sideline. Unfortunately, the captain couldn't ice, ice that conversion down in Wollongong. From the far sideline. So 26 all the four, uh, the full time score there. But it was good to see the boys salvaging a draw from that situation and Jake really at the heart of it.
1: Well, the last couple of weeks, they've managed to get some victories under pretty difficult circumstances. Mm-hmm. First of all, they had to come back from behind against the Sea Eagles up at Blacktown. And again, Jake was instrumental in that comeback. And then the next week, they defeated the the Almighty Penrith Panthers, reigning premiers, New yeah. South Wales Cup team, the reigning premiers. Yes, so that was a that was a really big win. So, and look, that, uh,
0: that, to that come away, a couple I was going to say, Brad Brad Arthur was made it quite public that he wanted Jake playing eighty minutes in reserve grade this year, and they've stuck true to that, and he's uh starting to really hit his straps because of it.
1: Yeah, so they've now gone after losing the first two rounds. They've. Ah, uh, one, two, and then had a draw. Mm-hmm. And as I said, the circumstances of that matchup at Blacktown—they had a lot going against them there. And uh, as you said as well, they had the opportunity to win that game at the end against the Dragons with that uh, triket version that was missed. So,
0: and then uh, 26 we, yeah, twenty-six, twenty-six or keep deals in the hunt for the top eight. And then, uh, continuing with the weekend wrap quickly though, uh, we go to the Jersey Flag, who are really the surprise packets, boys. Uh looking at that roster they had in round one, I mean there were names you recognized, or names we didn't uh had had to really wait and see what they were doing. They started slow, but they've really, really uh come to four in the last couple of rounds, playing wonderful team-focused football, getting to their uh kicks and sets, playing aggressive in defense. And that was uh, put with a real big punctuation mark this week with a 32 to 16 win of the Dragons that probably flattered the Dragons 60s. Uh, Terrell Williams bagging a hat-trick in this one with Jock Brazzle, Ned Hicks, and William Latu also scoring. Uh, but yeah, the Eels really, really I mean, you, for that greater football, what they're doing under coach Craig Brennan is very, very impressive.
1: It is because they have probably haven't had access to some of the players that we expected that they would. There's been some players held back in the SG ball competition And that even includes Ethan Sanders, who was the starting halfback all through last season. And uh, from memory, he was either the player of the... voted the player of the season or he was right up the top of the player of the season selections. But um, they have really... You know what? Again, it was that match-up at Blacktown against the Sea Eagles, And in that game, man, the decisions were going against them. There was some... There were some calls that were head-scratching, but they overcame adversity. It was the first time that we saw Lindsay Munro in action, the The halfback. I have got that right, I? Lin- it is Lindsay, isn't it?
0: Lindsay Munro, yes.
1: Yes, yes. So um, he's, he's actually been a revelation because we had earlier seen that Arthur Miller-Steven was the fullback in the Jersey and was elevated to New South Wales Cup where he unfortunately got an injury. And when he was elevate, elevated to New South Wales Cup, that gave that opportunity to uh, Lindsay Munro, who had trialled for the Eels, I believe, towards the end of last year and had impressed people. He's, If you are thinking about what he looks like, he's, I think he's almost a, a clone of um, Ewan McGrady the Canterbury half from uh, all those years ago that won the Rothmans medal. He is uh, an absolute whippet around the field. He's he's fast. He bobs up on, on both sides of the ruck. He trails players through. He injects himself into the back line with great pace. He, uh, he delivered a wonderful pass for a try last week, but there was also his involvement in what was the second try of the day for the Jersey flag, and it was an absolute cracker. It's available on the New South Wales Rugby League highlights, so you can see the Jersey flag highlights. You go to about 140 for Parramatta, and the, their second try, it uh, starts off with a, a storming carry from Nick Lanaz through the middle of the ruck, followed by an offload, and then the offloads just continue, and it finishes with Jock Brazzle. Getting over the line, and at any at any point the play could have come to a a, a halt, but they just kept turning up in support. The passes kept coming. Um, it was a tremendous try. A player that I'm going to keep my eye on at the moment is uh, a middle forward coming off the bench named Noah Reed. I thought he was outstanding in this game. Like his, I don't know what his post contact meters came out like, but. It had to have been something enormous. Um, six foot five prop originally with the Newcastle Knights mm-hmm. was a member of their Harold Matthews Cup winning team back in, I think, about 2019. From memory, he's now finds himself at the Eels. He can't be any older than about 19, May, like maybe turning 20 later this year for, by my calculations. But I think... I think he's re- he's very, very promising as a uh, middle forward. So uh, keep your eye on him. You, we like to track different players coming through the grades. To me, he's one to keep an eye on.
0: Glenn, the team was 0-2 after two rounds. Did you have him, or were you surprised to see him go 3-0 since?
2: Yeah, well, it, it probably is a little bit of a surprise, to be honest with you it was touched on before there was a, a lot of new faces coming into this squad, um, you know, as, as well as some of those boys that are, um, you know, there were, there were uh, key members of the, of the side. certainly in the back end of last year that have um, been kept down in the SG ball grade. Um, so see them go three and three, you and um, know, after that Rocky start um, paints a really positive picture of the, of, of the future. You know, we, we, we've, we've got some good kids there. And, you know, uh, Craig touched on, you know, my, my like of Matt durie as he was coming through those grades so, you know i think um young doc brazel is um he pro- uh,
1: craig probably holds him in um in very similar regard oh, he's he will be an nrl player i'll just put that on the table right now he's going to do a preseason next year i suspect uh, i'm thinking he might have a development contract but don't don't quote me on that, but he he will do an NRL preseason last year again. And I would suggest that he might be part of the full time squad in some capacity. Uh yeah. And the way he's come back this season, Jock, after missing all of last year, he had that great misfortune of the last session before Christmas mm. in two thousand at the end of two thousand and twenty one. The last play of the last session, the last tackle of the last session, and he does his knee.
0: And And Jock Jock just plays with his hair on fire, doesn't he? He is a maniac out there. Just gives 100% to every aspect of his game. So, like you said, 60s, the only thing that's going to stop him from carving out a pretty handy NRL career will be injury. So just a knock on wood there for him, because he's making a very strong return from that serious knee injury. Let's keep it running. Let's go uh, down to the junior representative pathways now. Let's start off the list of Yellow Cup 60s, because they had a fantastic Close out to their four-week campaign, being one of only two teams to go through the entire program undefeated in 2023. They won 32-10 over the Kendry bankstown Bulldogs on Saturday out at Belmore, I believe this one was. No, yeah, it was Belmore, yeah. So we got a, a double to Ariana Rualt. Uh, you got Essence Aloe, Kayla Henderson, Logan Lamusu, rivally Arlo and Waiaria Ellis also scoring. And a really, really good capstone game on a fantastic campaign.
1: Yeah they've gone as you mentioned they've gone through undefeated their aggregate score is something like 154 to 20 that w- that will give you an idea and 10 of those 20 points just came in the yes yeah, so half, half there against
0: was conceded just incredible now. Yeah.
1: yeah so they they look very well coached the the girls play with a lot of confidence and i'm expecting uh i'm not quite sure of the age of all of them whether in relation to how many will come up into the Tarsha Gale squad for next season or whether they blood them a little bit in terms of doing the pre season with the Tarsha Gale squad. But without doubt, there's some talent there. The uh, prop forwards, the twins, they are, (laughs) they have caused mayhem in opposition sides this year. So, yeah, keep your eye on them. Uh, yeah, uh, Toya and,
0: Alamalo girls, I believe it is, 60s. Yes. Ann and uh, uh, Adiza or Adetsa. So, yeah, yeah, fantastic campaign for the Lisa Fiala Cup. Really looking forward to seeing them go into the Tasha Gow. Speaking of, let's get into the junior reps there, boys. And before we get into the individual results, uh, massive uh, congratulations to all three teams because for the first time since the inception of the Tasha Gow way back in 2018, all three junior representative teams for the Parramatta Eels have qualified for the final series in the same season, so a massive milestone for the club and a testament to the hard work of all three programs. So well done.
1: Yes, uh, and it was uh split venues as well oh, this what weekend. A, what uh, a
0: mess this was everywhere. Yeah, so,
1: yeah.
0: Uh, the uh, we
1: had our we had our plans to cover <laughs> these matches as best we could, mate, and it just didn't quite work it out fell, because we apart. planned to split between Belmore and um, and over at Granville Park, the at Eric Twitter. Tweedale Stadium. Mm-hmm. And then of course the Tasha Gale was then moved to Acor Stadium as one of the curtain mm-hmm. raisers for the Bulldogs match there on Sunday night. And then I would imagine that the with the weather that they decided to move that off Acor and then to Kellyville Park. So eventually the girls took the field at something like quarter to
0: four oh, at Kellyville <laughs> on Sunday
1: afternoon. Oh. So now the advantage of that is there was no pressure on them because they knew that they the that they yeah, the courtesy, worst they could finish was six.
0: Courtesy of a Penrith so, loss on Saturday, exactly. So they booked that with well, a punch their ticket to the finals, but they were taking on the absolute out of nowhere really in terms of last year, twenty twenty two to twenty twenty three, but uh, we saw in the preseason and we knew they were going to be competition favourites. The Canterbury Bulldogs, who were just a tremendous team in this grade. Uh, they run had a run through into the uh, last round of the regulation season undefeated. And that was no surprises for us, 60s. And after No,
1: it, I was just going to say what they produced on Sunday was every bit as good as what we saw in that trial. I would imagine it's what they produced for most of the season. I, there were a couple of interesting closer results, and I'm not quite sure how a couple of the teams got within cooey
0: of, the, nights, of, of their the side as they one. did.
1: Yeah. Uh, but they really flexed their muscle in the, in, in the game on Sunday. The Eels put up such a fight. The first 20 minutes, there was no score. And the Eels' scramble was just doing their utmost to try to hold them out. It was always going to be that the... The Bulldogs had the ascendancy. They are fast. They are physical. They are skillful. If you get a chance to see them in action, they are quite a team to watch. Now, I think they've been assembled from far and wide. So they they have well and truly been hand-picked, I believe. But you have to sit back and admire football played like they do. And it's there were times you just had to clap for the tries that they scored. They finally broke the Eels back because they got back-to-back sets. And it was unfortunate because the Eels were ruled to have made a high tackle on the sixth when the Bulldogs ran it from about 40 metres out. And the Eels caught him on the 30 metre line. The referees had judged it was a high tackle. They've then been able to get into the quarter, and then it was just too much for the Eels to hold out. And then they they and they ended up scoring four tries in that ten minutes before half time, yeah. and two tries in the five six minutes after half time. And that was pretty much the scoring. Their, yeah, save for
0: try, a 58th minute try, that was it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah that that last try would have been in what would have been their last possession, mm-hmm. and it was only because the Eels made an error trying to get the ball out of their out of their quarter. And I think from memory, that was one where they got tackled into touch. I'm not quite sure how they got tackled into touch, but they did. I think there is something that the Eels can take out of those periods of, of being competitive with them, but they will have to, if they come up against them somewhere in the final series, they will have to ensure that they complete their sets because if there was a criticism of the Eels from that game, it was that they just didn't complete their sets. Their resilience was amazing, their completions not so. Yeah,
0: and Canterbury's 36-0 victory actually kept them ahead of the Roosters Indigenous Academy who won 52-0 against the Dragons. And uh, in terms of the top of the ladder, 60s it became razor close, uh, razor-fin margin there. 232 points differential for the Bulldogs to 224 for the Indigenous Academy, so eight points separating the two best teams in this competition. Uh, at the end of nine or nine rounds, eight games, one by a piece there, and there, I mean, we can see uh, in finals you often see upsets happen, and we saw last year as well with uh, I, I believe some upsets in the Tashagel with the Newcastle Knights, I believe, uh, taking it out. But uh, the the Bulldogs and the Roosters would have to be the runaway favourites to be in the big dance as it stands right now. They are two tremendous rosters, and if I had to call my shot right now, I'd say Canterbury couldn't be couldn't be touched the way they yeah. Do.
1: I'd say so as well. They, they they play a different brand of football. It's, Canterbury are a bit more physical than the Roosters as far as I'm concerned. So yeah. that will be interesting. But we also had the uh, Harold Matthews and the SC Ball in action at uh, Eric Tweedale Stadium at Granville. Uh, great venue for rugby league there. Just to give people a bit of an idea, because there might may well be that Parramatta plays uh, quite a few more Junior representative games there next year, uh, but the it's got a, a, a stand there at the and it I think it holds about 750 or something like that. It's it's quite spacious. It hasn't got the seats. It's got the tiered concrete, so you'd bring along a cushion something like that to sit on. But at the top of the stand, there is a, a level that contains a large function room and the Earls put on a bit of a spread for the parents of all the players that were there on Saturday, which was nice to see. And uh, the there are four dressing sheds there as well, which makes it possible if you've got a program with uh, the male and female players that you can have the bases. female players in separate dressing sheds and you don't have to worry about any crossover and, and that in terms of the use of the sheds so that's great there is a beside the stay the stand there is a hill that goes all the way around the field so it's and there's uh parking off-street parking there as well uh i mean not the size of the off-street parking that you have up at kellyville park but there is still a decent amount of off-street fair, parking yeah. yeah so um and, and yeah the, look the the teams themselves they got the job done
0: that's the, what repart-
1: we yeah. Yep. Yeah, they were a class above the opposition, but there was spirited. You know, there was a bit of spirited opposition from, um, from the Central Coast Roosters against the Harold Mats and the Storm against the SG Ball. They were both lower down on the table. You'd expect the Eels to get the job done. They got the job done. The Eels have now finished fourth in the SG Ball. Correct. And they'll they'll play the West Magpies. They finished third in the Mats. They'll play the Sharks. And we should mention that in finishing fifth, the Gale uh, Gale team will play the Steelers. And uh, all of those matches will be at Campbelltown Stadium Saturday week. There is no junior football this weekend over Easter. Mm
0: -hmm. And that's the weekend wrap, 60s. You mentioned that Eric Tweed, our stadium is prospectively the home of our junior football for the near future until the Kellyville Park development is complete, which is fantastic because it is a nice little centre there. Let's get into the uh, NRL news proper, starting with the Parramatta-related things. And uh, we'll start with the NRLW boys, because there's been a lot of moves everywhere, save for Parramatta. What's going on there? Eels have lost uh, Samoma Talford to the Raiders, Gail Broughton to the Brisbane Broncos, uh, both obviously big losses there. But uh, the Broughton one, I think, isn't unexpected, given I believe her partner lives up there. So, I mean, that's a a move of uh, convenience as well as opportunity. Uh, but Tau for a big loss, to the Raiders, she's going to be the centrepiece for that team uh, in expansion. Uh, why Why aren't the Parramatta Eels making big moves?
1: Clint, I'll let you take the lead on all these news items, because I know you're very strong on what's been happening in the NRL over the last week, so I'll let you kick off here. Oh,
2: look, just on the NRLW, you uh, uh, I, I, I think what we're seeing is some of those expansion teams certainly want to make a statement and, and um, make some moves. You know, uh, it's probably not too different to what we experience um, with, with the men's team in that you know the the, the uh, Eels run a very tight ship, and um, you don't hear about things until um, until the Eels administration decide that you need to hear about it. So you know, there's undoubtedly some things that are taking place in the background. I'm sure we we'll hear some announcements um, in the not too near future. You know, Kennedy um, Sherrington um, um, hinted as such that she's got a, a long-term extension, uh, a long-term contract on the on the table. That I should say that um, potentially up to three years. So know, uh, yeah, I've no doubt there's some um, some news um, coming up in the NRLW. Um, it's just a matter of um, sitting tight and waiting.
0: That is a long, um, long piece of great news for the Eels. Is that rumored? three-year extension for Kennedy Charrington, who, if you're talking about building block players, don't get much better. She plays of high quality and high spirit. She's going to be the the cultural heart of his team moving forwards, but it's going to be interesting to see who they surround her with.
1: Yeah, would absolutely. You to, would you think that she's going to be named captain or at least a co-captain?
0: Oh, 100%,
1: no doubt. Well, with the movement of Taffy you'd have to,
2: you, you know, she's a natural successor.
0: Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and she she makes plenty of sense for me as the build-around player. It's just interesting to see what they're going to do because all the marquee experience talent seems to be rapidly coming off the market. We know the Eels have Tasha Gale talent and already postgraduate Tasha Gale talent that uh, was in the essentially the NRLW development squad in 2022 that they do like, but you'd want to have a bit of experience and maybe a bit of uh, marquee power around them, but have to wait and see what they do.
1: It's I a, think what we're what we'd like to see as fans, is something in the way of recruitment, rather than retention, just a little bit of recruitment where maybe we make a bit of a, a bit of damage in the player market mm-hmm. as well.
0: I think that's fair. Sixties. And uh, speaking of recruitment, the big name in the NRL on everyone's lips right now is Jack Whiten. He has been linked to the Parramatta Eels. They do have a hole at centre. They're looking for an X-factor player. All those pieces fit. Say for maybe the biggest one, and that's the uh, the dollar value that the competition might be assigning him, boys, because Parramatta's interest, you'd think, would be legitimate. You always kick the tires on talented players, but uh, as we record tonight on Tuesday, the 4th of April, uh, it's believed that Canberra have just offered their 5.8, a mammoth $4.4 million over four years, which probably, I'm going to say, probably puts him out of Parramatta's price range at $1.1 per did he get what he want? Is that, is that the uh, crux of the matter here? Were the Parramatta Reals or any other club a real chance for that matter, or was this all about getting that uh, big golden handshake deal out of his club one final time?
2: Look, I think so. Um, Forty, you know, it, 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 it's players and, and managers know the game that that's um, that's taking place here. Um, you yeah, know, and 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 every every manager and every player has a buddy in the media um it, it, it's pretty classic news cycle for this to take place but it would be remiss of us not to entertain the possibility of Jack and and what he could do for our team and you know i i, I think um uh you know with um the left center position being um i i guess um up for contention at the moment and a point of discussion within the parameter NRL side uh, I, I, if, if the possibility of Jack Whiten joining us on you know on unreasonable money on on fair money for, for him and us, um, you know, we'd be silly not to entertain it. But um, as far as I'm concerned, this is just a matter of um, you know um, Jack exploring his options for the sake of using it for leverage to um to get one last payday. And it sounds like he may potentially got it.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with you there, Clint. I think as far as Parramatta were concerned. They would have been doing their due diligence in having mm-hmm. a chat to him, but the way that that offer seems to have come from the Canberra Raiders now, you just go, well, he's got what he's want, what from, he wanted.
0: From a paramount perspective, boys, if we just pretend that the Raiders' offer didn't exist ever and he was still on the open market, what would have been the right offer for the Blue and Gold to make to him as a centre?
1: Eight
2: hundred. Yeah, I, three I, years. I would put it at that figure as well. Um, you, you you're not just paying for for someone of uh you know of, of his quality you, you obviously he can play six he's played one plenty of times in his career as well uh this is an origin player um you know we're, we're talking a representative player so there's a tax um and uh add-on fees for that um but yeah I, I i think 800 is where you draw the line and um if uh if that wasn't enough then you
1: know both parties shake hands move on yeah, and, and in terms of the length of the contract, I think to attract him, you'd probably have to offer three years.
0: Three to four years, almost certainly, yeah. So. Yeah,
1: yeah. But, of course, yeah. then what that comes, there's a particular cost that that would come at, which would be that it may will it may will signal the end of players like Sean Russell mm-hmm. sticking around at the club. Because if you were to sign someone like a Jack Whiten, for an extended period of at the club, after you've also extended the contract of Sivo, after you've extended the contract of uh, Will Pensini. your and and also Hayes is someone who the the club values and uh, you know they they like B A likes what Hayes produces, so mm-hmm. you'd have to say the opportunity for outside backs would be greatly diminished by, uh, by the for outside backs at the club, currently at the club, ones in the pathways or ones that have just come out of the pathways, that the more that you sign established players like that, the less opportunity there is, and so you start to lose players maybe that you don't want to lose, but I guess that's the call that you have to make, isn't it? Because ultimately what supporters want to see is the Premiership. Yeah, above all. We've all got got favourite players, and we've all got players that we'd like to see in first grade, and we don't always agree on the players you'd like to see there. But what we all agree on is we want to see the club win a Premiership and win one soon.
0: Yes, sir. And speaking of the player that Jack Wyden would have prospectively replaced at Parramatta, Wunger Blake, the current, well, up until this week, the current left centre at the club, he's been uh, linked by Fox Sports, the Rugby Union boys, uh, is that a bit of manager talk there? Is that a bit of rugby union speculation? Or is uh, that something you can definitely see on the cards with Wonga being a free agent at the end of his season?
2: Well, look, Wonga's manager has a, um, a responsibility to him to explore his options. You know, the um, the riding is probably on the wall for Wonga at the moment. He's very much at that fork in the road. And, um, you know, I. I, I think we all agree. You know, th- th- there's no doubt in the athletic ability of Wonga Blake. He's one of the most impressive athletes in the competition. And anyone who's seen him train knows that he's a specimen. The, the you know his, his acceleration off the mark, and, and as and and, and the, his ability to maintain top speed is incredibly impressive. And him at the top of his game is an absolute asset to our team. But as of late, um, you know, it, and you you could argue going back to. Um, to the back end of last year that he, he hasn't quite been the same um in uh, headspace wise since um since being under the high ball from nathan cleary and he's lacking confidence at the moment and you know a a, a strong longer blake is strong for Parramatta, but you know, the they they gotta they, they've gotta got protect their asset and, and the manager and, and Wonga in, in, in this instance exploring their um exploring their um, opportunities and possibilities and, and union seems to be one of those things. I think Super League has also been um speculated over the over the past couple of weeks as well. I I take it's likely because they put the feelers out for NRL um, contracts at the moment, there isn't any nibbles.
1: Yeah. One of the interesting things that I can recall over the last few years with player swaps around rugby union was what Sam Burgess said about his time playing in the centres over in English rugby union. He said he'd come off the field. He maybe would have made two or three runs, four tackles, and people would be patting him on the back about what a strong game he had. And he'd be just thinking <laughs> to himself, what on earth are they talking about? And and uh, look, I think with, with regard to Wonga, If I was speaking to Wonga, I'd be reminding him that over the years there's been many players who have had to take that drop down to New South Wales Cup level and they've taken it in their stride and they've looked to produce their best from there. Now, I can remember and I can't remember which one of the... I can't recall which one of the twins it was, but watching one of the Morris twins playing for the Bulldogs at Ringrose Park... And he'd been dropped for form, and he absolutely carved Wendy to pieces when Wendy was the feeder team, the New South Wales Cup team for Parramatta. It, he put on the sort of display, he looked like an international player having to play against New South Wales Cup level players. Like it looked exactly what it was. And there are times when players who are first graders get drops back to the level below and they play at the level below. Like they play to whatever level that they're playing They're playing in. The real, real quality players make a statement when they go back. And I'd like Wonga to feel confident in his own ability, understand and believe in himself that he is a player worthy of NRL who is playing at a lower grade level and that he, you know, set out to prove to others that he is going to be back in the NRl at some stage soon and that I think that's all I can ask of him and and I guess within the team construct that he makes sure that he does his job don't overplay don't necessarily overplay his hand individually but have confidence in himself play his role as he needs to at cup level and he'll excel
0: and the last bit of news boys that isn't directly tied to Parramatta, but I thought it would be interesting to have a chat about it if you boys given some of our uh, sort of uh, inferred recruitment or attempts during the off-season. But uh, the the Roosters are looking at potentially squeezing club legend Jared Warrior Hargraves out at the end of the season. They feel the pinch of, uh, uh, what, new recruit Spencer Lenu and, uh, well, Joseph Sueli's still on the books for next year, but also, uh, who's the other player they've got? Uh, Lenu and, obviously, Dom Young. So they've they've loaded up for 2024, uh, and Worry Hargraves might be the man to make the way. Given that we had interest in Marty Tapa'u before he uh, did the dodgy, well, not dodgy, but last uh, second back out for us with the Brisbane Broncos, should the Parramatta be kicking the tyres on Maria Hargraves and have a cheeky little look-see if he can be the uh, senior third party for Junior and Reg off the bench?
1: I can sense Clint has the pen in his hand ready to sign a check. <laughs> yeah, it's a matter of dollars. It, this is a matter of money. This
2: isn't, this isn't a matter of yes or no. This is a matter of, of where we draw the line in terms of how much cash we're willing to offer, a a, a resounding yes. Um, You know, yeah, Jared's not the player that he used to be, and he's getting a little bit long in the tooth now, but, um, geez, a quality 30, 40 minutes every week from him um, coming off the bench and just playing those relief minutes. We're not going to lose much in that. And, you know, particularly when you consider the calibre of players that come off the bench for other NRL sides, yeah, I I would absolutely entertain this, you know. And look, it it'd probably be pretty hard to get it um, to convince Jared with a one year deal for it. Um, you know, you might you probably might have to put a mutual option in there for a for a second um, to to get it over the line. But um, you know, because uh, there's also considerations on you know, I'm not too sure. Just like the rest of the NRL fraternity, what the risk, of the salary cap situation is. I have an opinion <laughs> on what it is, um, <laughs> but. Um, you know, they they're probably in a um, you know whether whether he qualifies for a long um, uh, uh, a long term player discount or anything there that might factor into the negotiation. Um, you know, we're, we're we're all well aware um, of the um, off field opportunities that get offered to Roosters players, so it'd have to be a decent offer to entice him, and there the, would have to be some decent terms to that offer to entice him. So, look, I'm thinking we probably have to offer a. Um, a one year deal with a with a with a mutual option for a second, um probably not too dissimilar to what we did with Josh Hodson. Um and I would I'd probably be looking um I would be looking towards a a half a million dollar um a year check for
1: Jared to, to come do that role. Yeah. It's straight simple for me. Talk to him, try and get something done. Uh, and if it's if it's possible within the money that the eels have available, fantastic. If it's not possible, well, we understand why because we've seen where we've been spending money lately. But we do know that the eels are in the market for a centre. They're in the market for middles and they've got a little bit of money to spend, obviously. So he's he's someone to talk to even if it has to be for next year. Now, mate... There is still some other NRL news mm-hmm. floating around that we, that we want to get to. I know Clint's got a few things he's keen to talk about. Surely there's one of them as well that almost requires the Benny Hill stinger.
0: Oh, God. We'll, we'll, get, we'll get to that. Uh, we will, we'll break out the Benny Hill stinger in a little bit. But let's start with um, some real top-tier news in terms of the player involved. Uh, but the uh, Brisbane Broncos high-flying at the start of 2023, undefeated on top of the ladder. Big part of that is their prop forward sensation Payne Haas, who is set to become the richest ever Bronco ever. Uh, Quint, he's uh, off contract at the end of 2024, which means he's eligible to negotiate now. But I don't think he's going to hit the market.
2: Pretty sensational when you consider what 12 months ago, maybe 18 months ago, Payne Haas wanted out of Brisbane, yeah. and there was a lot of um, there was a lot of innuendo and suggestion that he was going to make a mid-season switch to the Roosters um you know for this to sort of come full circle that 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 to settle down and to um to, bu- to some of the g- grievances i guess um pain um had that potentially led to that scenario um and then look to extend and become the um the richest bronco ever you know it, it it's probably a fair reflection of the, tra- the cultural transition brisbane has gone through um during that period and um you know look i i, I I think it's probably a good reflection of some of the off-field recruitment the Broncos have done and and, and, and getting their house in order off-field that's, um, that's facilitated an environment that's made this a possibility.
0: And probably the one criticism in terms of him as a player on the field, obviously off the field there's some stuff to still negotiate and navigate, but on the field was that he lacked a good offload or ability to play before the line. That looks to be something he's worked on this preseason and he seems to be the uh, the full package now. He is absolutely devastating out there.
1: But he's one he provides that go forward that gets the Broncos back. So we know what their back line is capable of doing. But when he is part of that successful formula of winning the middle, it opens up so much opportunity for their outside back
0: talent. All right. Well you sort of teased at sixties, let's get into it. But uh you you can't really talk about this club without playing this music these days. Oh, oh, oh. Yes, yes, it's time for the West Tigers, boys, and I know you don't want to give them bulletin board material before that Easter Monday game, but they just keep giving it to us to talk about in the podcast, so let's get into it this week with our uh, classic Tigers segments from uh, their jersey design team and CEO Justin Pascoe. Let's start with the jersey, the Anzac jersey, as it were, and this is not, not breaking, but it's sort of been developing throughout the day, but it looks like that their 2023 Anzac jersey has, of all things, a... Uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here, boys? A stock military image of US troops that's uh been superimposed onto the jersey. So it's been a failure catastrophically at some level, if it's true, because I've seen the stock image and I've seen the jersey and it looks true. Uh, but that uh, so quality control has failed the Tigers here. On
2: a number of levels. Yeah, on um, a number of levels. a number of levels. You know, when, when you consider the process and um you know we, we we were discussing this this um this earlier when it when when, when this issue came to light is um it, it, the approval process a jersey has to go through before it actually takes the field it has to it has to pass a number of hands you know so you, you 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 have the um the apparel manufacturer who mocks up the design and does that in consultation generally with the club's graphic designer and, and marketing team then it goes through to the c-level executives there who approve that it goes off to uh, um, licensing at the nrl who then approves that um then it goes into production takes the field it it's passed a lot of people's eyes um so to get to that uh, to, to get to this point where if, if it is in fact what what um they wear on the field um then you, you hit the nail on the head there 40s um errors of uh, that are absolutely catastrophic um to, to, to get to that level and you know it, it's When it rains, it pours, right? You know, and there's there's probably a little bit of a stack on on the tigers, and it's it's a position that we're not too you know um, unfamiliar with ourselves as the Eels supporters, you know, it was, you know, 10 years ago, wasn't that long, long ago, um, in, 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 the memories of a, um, of a rugby league fan. And while a lot of water has passed under the bridge since that time, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's the meals fans that can empathize with some of the plights of the Tigers at the moment, but they, they just can't seem to take a trick. And, you know, um, I'm loath to, um, to, to, um, stick the knife in, um, when we've got a game coming up against them, uh, rugby league gods, please, Please leave us alone just for this week. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, they, they 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 just can't take a trick. And you know, it, it's worth noting that there's it 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 feels like it doesn't have to be said, but I think we should say it anyway. There's a level of disrespect on so many levels um, for, for for this to happen. You know, both from from an ANZAC perspective. From a um, a U.S. Armed Forces perspective, um, from the, the the professionalism of the work or or lack thereof undertaken that that led to this being produced, um,
1: uh, I don't know where to start, and uh, I, I don't know what the what the solution is going to be because if this, as we said, if this is the case, and this is a developing story, and. I'm not sure that there's been too much in the way of official statements that have been made. There was something floating around about the West Tigers saying that they worked in conjunction with the Holsworthy Army base in terms of designing the jersey. That was that was something that I thought was floating around a little bit earlier. I, I, st- I could be corrected on that. But just as an example, this only happened most recently with the Parramatta Reels. A lot of Parramatta supporters, a lot, did not like the Parramatta Reels poppy jersey. Now, if you think back to that, one of the problems that existed with that poppy jersey is we had to reverse the colours. And because in that, that was originally designed as a home jersey. And as it turned out, it was an away match that the uh, jersey was going to be worn on. So they had to go to the alternate colour. And that, that was part of that review process because it's it's everything to do with okay is this a home match is it a away match what colors are you using um you know are we happy with the design that's that's there it's there's all this review process that goes on we were subjected to that we had to make a change we had to manufacture a, a jersey that was different to the original plan but that was picked up in all that check process so that then the then the jersey was manufactured and it was available for sale prior to the match now this is the jersey that has now been manufactured for the West Tigers where do they go to if this is the if this is the stuff up that it looks like what do they do surely they don't wear that jersey in the match surely like do do they then revert to the previous year's jersey that would be my thought because you can't you can't stand out there on Anzac Day if they are if they are wearing images that aren't of Australian armed forces. So hey I am yeah I I think it'll be quite a, an interesting story to follow over the over the next week or so because oh, it it really comes down to logistics, doesn't it? What is available to them. Yep. And- yep. And they and when this has come out, it's correct me if, if I'm wrong, but I'm, I think it's that the, the jersey is still available for sale. They yeah, still have it. I to believe it is.
0: Yeah, it was launched yesterday. I think so. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty certain you can still get it on their online store. So, and on, on a much minor scale of embarrassing, was uh, CEO Justin Pascoe out there peacocking it in the uh, first grade warm up against the Broncos? It uh, was spied in a club polo and whatnot out in the field with the players. They started to warm up. Uh, and then later he was caught. I mean, I don't know about this one, but he was caught on the phone in the dressing room at halftime, and people were accusing him of not being, you know, if you're going to be in the dressing room, sort of respect the sanctity of it, and you know, listen to the coach and watch the plays, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, in terms of like, you know, Pasco failures, it's definitely on the minor, minor, minor scale. But yeah, it's also not great for the club when you you need to be professional from the top down, don't you? How many? It's just
2: a little tone deaf
0: yeah a a exa- exactly that's probably the, the um, cleanest way of
2: describing know, it. The, 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 there seems to be a lack of awareness of um the wider public perception there and you know look a c-level executives is, is not meant to concern themselves with the thoughts and the thought process of the average punter but they are meant to read the room and understand that these punters are also their stakeholders and their investors you know and I'm mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm probably um, y- using a little bit more technical um, terminology there but you know you, uh, a season ticket holder a member is an investor in the club someone who you know e- even if you're not someone who's um, who's buying season tickets you just, yeah, you're, you're a casual fan buying merchandise you have a level of investment in the club you've put your money um, into the club you want to know that your club's being well represented to be caught on camera um, in the warm-up in the club polo, um, you know, and then, and then um, subsequently at halftime texting. Look, he probably was, you know, it, it, it was that in itself is innocent, but it's a lack of awareness of the current situation and, and how that could be potentially um, interpreted. You know, um, my advice and suggestion would be just get yourself out, away from the cameras, Justin, you know, keep yourself out of the spotlight. And work on some work, work on some small wins, you know, because it, it unfortunately for him, it, it's it, it's starting to compound and um um what um is being perceived as a credibility problem.
1: I wonder how many CEOs would be in that situation of being out on the field in the warm up, of being in the dressing sheds with a phone at halftime. You said.
0: That I believe was, I believe it was half time.
1: Yeah. Now the other the other question too is how many NRL coaches would find it acceptable to have their CEO doing those things. I would guarantee there's a lot of very strong, willed, strong-minded NRL coaches who wouldn't have a bar of it and would not be adverse to telling their CEO, even though it's their CEO, mate, this isn't your area. Please respect the work area of the players. So, Look, If,
2: if, if you make a comparison um, you know, to, to the everyday office worker, you know, their CEO was in or microman- maybe in some cases they are, but generally speaking, the CEO has got a lot of things on their plate that they're not sitting over the shoulder of, um, of you as you're going about your day-to-day work. Just, um, just hanging about. They're they're normally taking care of uh,
1: of of other things. Or even if they're not, they look like they are. Yeah, they've got given the sort of money that they're on, their time is far better spent doing other things.
2: And to that point, you know, you know, um, is that the best use of Justin's time? that's that that that's probably what's at the heart of the issue you know you 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 you, you know you add this to um you know a a, a growing list of gaps you know we, we're, we're talking about a um a, a ceo who also uh finds time to to um i'm not sure the frequency of it i think it might be monthly it might it might be more frequent than that um but but produce his own podcasts through the the club's media streams as well um if you're a Tigers fan, you're asking the question, when are you doing CEO work?
1: I guess what we're seeing from him almost is he's playing the role of a fan when he's the CEO. So it's... Yeah, it, it's it, hard
2: it, not to, to view it that way. And look, this, 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 this is not meant to be, uh, you know... Um, uh, in, in indictment on on, on justin pasco doing or not doing his job per se you know you, we're not suggesting that he isn't he isn't doing and fulfilling some, um the, the the duties of 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 the ceo for all the time that he's away from the camera but it's just a mindfulness piece and being able to read the room you know mentioned before it, it it's tone deaf you know you you, you, you've got to understand the circumstances, of the club. You know, it's being in touch with your fans and, and understanding how things can be um, how things can be interpreted rightly or wrongly. Um, you know, it, 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 for me, it's probably a little bit of a, um, a little bit of an EQ piece, a little bit of a, a, an emotional intelligence, emotional awareness piece. And you know, um, if 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 I was him and if I was the, the on, on the board of the um, of of the West Tigers. And I wanted to, you know, and you're continuing with Justin as your, as your man, it's probably worth investing in some consultants to help work, um, work on his image and, um, and do that development work If be someone that you want to persist with. If you believe in, in, in your leader, you, you as the board need to identify, okay, look, there's some um, opportunities to develop and grow here. We believe in you. We want to, we, we want to nurture you through this, but part of you, part of you continuing on here as our leaders that you have to do this.
1: I'd, I'd like to um, summarise what I, how I see this whole situation, which is Justin Pascoe has always been renowned for marching to the beat of a different drum. It's just that I don't think it's always music to the ears of West Tigers fans,
0: <laughs> and uh, probably not a consistent tempo too on that drum. So, yeah, let's move on, boys. <laughs> with a, a, a I want to say a feel good story. Uh, in the context of the NRL, but I don't know how feel-good it can be when the uh, poor Canberra are taking on the red-hot Brisbane Broncos and probably staring down the barrel of a second 50-point loss in as many weeks, but uh, in terms of the feel-good stakes, Ricky Stewart has recalled club stalwart Jared Croker boys. He comes back into the centres for NRL cap 293 this week. So he's uh, set to be minted, in a handful of games, he stays in the row as the game's next 300-game player. One of the all-time leading point scorers as well. He has scored an absolutely metric bucket load uh, between tries and conversions. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I say feel good. It, it, is, it would be nice to see Jared get his 300th cap. He has been huge for them uh, for a whole number of years. Obviously, his form was trailed off, in particularly in his defensive side of the game where he struggled to Keep some of those monsters that are out in the centres these days in check on the opposition lineups, but yeah, a chance to become a 300 cap player, and a, you know maybe maybe he can give the the Raiders a little something something to un- uh, unseat the Broncos. Yeah, look, it's
2: it's an interesting development, isn't it? And you know, um, good on Jared. You know, it's as you touched on, you know, he's the player next in line to become or he's in line to become the next 300 gamer, I should say. Jesse Bromish, obviously, um, from the Dolphins being the most recent one. Um, You know, and that's a big deal. 300 NRL games is a big deal. One NRL game is a big deal when you really think about what it takes to get there. Um, 300 is 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 monumental and you know, it would be great to see jared jared um get to that milestone um as as, as a neutral fan you know I, I' i think he's one of the real um likable respectable people in rugby league he's always come across as very well spoken you know we remember early in his career the um the miss he had in that um elimination semi-final down in canberra and you know wearing the wearing wearing the weight of that but coming back stronger than ever and there was a period of time in his career that he was considered as a potential, um, a potential origin smoky. It was probably that um, the defensive side of, of his game that you touched on there that that inevitably um, prevented him from um, from reaching those heights. But you know he, he he's he's been a very loyal player for that club. He's been um, you know um, pro- probably the face of that 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 club until in, until recent years when when it sort of transitioned across to um to Jack White and he, he represents a lot of the good in rugby league, you know, and I'm, I'm, I wish him well. I hope he gets the 300.
1: I My take on this is that obviously he's going to have to have the right form to stay in first grade. Maybe he's able to rise to those levels. I'm not sure. If the Raiders are out of contention later in the season, I wouldn't be surprised to see Stuart yeah, no. Stewart bring him back up. Yeah, no
0: reason not to. Yeah. yeah.
1: Now, absolutely. What uh, I mentioned this be uh, when we were talking before about Wong and Blake going back to New South Wales Cup, and I mentioned about the uh, one of the Morris twins playing for the Bulldogs out at Ringrose Park, and how Grady played last year. I was able to watch Jared Croker running around for the Raiders against the Eels up at Kellyville Park. Now, to be honest, I mean the Kellyville park facility is not built as yet. It's not a match venue as such in, in terms of being any sort of stadium or having the, having the uh, facilities around it to, that you would expect that a, a player with that sort of pedigree, that sort of um, heritage that he's had through the, his time at the Raiders, I, I just wouldn't have expected to see him running around at Kellyville park on a Sunday afternoon. But that's exactly what I saw, and can I tell you, he was the class player on the field in that game. The Raiders won that game, and he just put on an, an absolute masterclass in centre play, in goal kicking. It was actually uh, quite an honour to watch to be able to watch it close up, like like you do in a on a field like at Kellyville Park. So he's he's one who. Uh, Obviously, we're not watching the Canberra Raiders reserve grade games. Raiders fans will be better able to let us know how he's playing in New South Wales Cup on a regular basis. But that day I saw a player who gave his best football playing in New South Wales Cup. And if he's been doing that, then he well and truly deserves his uh, recall to first grade.
0: And, uh, Quinn, you actually just jogged my memory by mentioning uh, the most recent inductee to the 300 Club and Jesse Bromwich. Uh, who has obviously done a tremendous job getting to that milestone. Uh, but NRL.com ran an article on him in the lead-up to that game uh, into his uh, massive you know, triple-ton there. And they mentioned that one other milestone he'll be chasing this year, and it actually pertains to a former Parramatta Real. And uh, this is a, a testament to the legacy of this player. So Jesse Bromwich, at 300 games in his NRL career, has started, as of last round, 278 in the front row. And that's not actually the NRL era, or not even NRL era, but pre-NRL era record. The most recorded starts or starting caps in the front row, as it stands, is actually Bob O'Reilly. Boys, two hundred eighty-two of his two hundred eighty-six caps were starting as a bookend. So that, you talk about a testament to toughness. Uh, and obviously Jesse's going to you know uh, take over that mantle shortly in this season, pending any sort of injury. Uh, but yeah, wow, Bob O'Reilly, what a what a formidable unit he was, you know, in terms of consistency, reliability, and, the, you know, just the uh, knack of being able to stay healthy and play those games as a starting book and in an era where scrums were a little bit different. So <laughs>
1: if, if you, if, I've been kind. <laughs> if, if you could get through a match where you weren't punched in the face, I think you were doing pretty well. And yeah, it was, uh, let's face it. The early part of his career spent at the Eels, and I think he would have debuted in about, off the top of my head, about 1967 or something like that, and he came into a, a team that had the likes of Ron Lynch and, and Dick Thornette, uh, Brian Hambly. They they were the sort of players that would have looked after an 18-year-old prop starting in the game, but to go through that era of football, though. This is a this is the time where the players stayed on the field for the 80 minutes. Mm. So it's not just starting the game, it would have been ending the game as well. So it'd be an interesting stat to look back and they wouldn't, I doubt that they'd have it from back in those days. But I would imagine that the number of games started at prop and ending at prop would be not there, – there wouldn't be a huge differential between them except maybe for send-offs. <laughs> <laughs>
0: and, of course, 60s, we've had a chance to chat to the Bear a number of times, officially as part of TCT and unofficially as fans, and he is a wonderful gentleman of the game. Uh, you oh, know.
1: mate, he's uh, – he, he is just, you know, he's the great – he's just so great a, a fella. And we – you mentioned that we've had the chance to speak to him – we recorded one of our earliest interviews with him at his house. I went and visited a number of times before and after. We uh, did the recording. It was all, I was made to feel so welcome there. Um, I met him as a kid when uh, he worked with my father. as uh, They were both Loriona drivers. They used to cart blocks for uh, what was called Marley Marley. Uh, back then, they were uh, manufacturers of concrete building blocks, and the trucks used to uh, carry these blocks around the building sites, and it wasn't they didn't have those cranes on the back lifting pallets of, of blocks or bricks off. It was all done by hand back in those days, so it was hard yakka, but it was the sort of yakka that, that worked out well for players because they could work the hours that would suit them to be able to get to training mm-hmm. later in the day. And uh, yeah, I've had the honour of um, speaking to him quite a number of times over the years, and, um, and and you know just ringing him every so often, just to say g'day and catch up. And uh, yeah, great bloke, great bloke.
0: Let's uh, put a bow on this one, boys, as we get back to the uh, multi-pike podcast weekly format. I hope you guys enjoyed myself and Sixties rambling on, joined by the uh, more sane uh, conversational pieces of Quint. Uh, you did a wonderful job on debut, official, well, not on debut, but on debut of the weekly podcast, mate. You've done a great job in the past filling in for the live show and also, like I said, the long-form content on the site. And I hope our uh, listeners look forward to Quint being part of us or part of this uh, podcast moving forwards.
1: Thanks, gentlemen. It was a pleasure. <laughs> mate, it's, uh, yes, we, we've enjoyed having you on. We're looking forward to the season ahead that we that we have in what should be. Let's let's talk about it. The We'll talk about more of it on uh, the preview podcast. A win for the Eels coming up this week, and we'll be able to speak to you next week about all the news that comes out of the Easter weekend of football, and not just in the Parramatta Eels, but across the NRL. So thanks for joining us, Clint. And as always, go you Eels.
0: Catch you guys in the next episode.